Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly here, welcoming you back to the show this week. And as always, I hope wherever you are that you're doing well and you're healthy and you're making it through these troubled, turbulent times. It's been uh, it's been a very difficult couple of months and slowly but surely places are starting to open up across the world and I hope wherever you are that things are going well. But we're here to talk about Formula One and as always there's lots of news to talk about, lots of Vettel news as you might expect after the shock announcement came out last week that uh, he would not be going back to Ferrari after the end of this year and that, that of course has kicked off a whole, whole lot of speculation so we're going to get to that in due course. And just to make things more difficult, possibly for myself, I decided in my own infinite wisdom to download and install a new version of my recording software right before I sat down to do the show. And well, I'll find out in, uh, well, (laughs) probably an hour from now, by the time I get finished recording this, whether or not that was a good or bad decision. So... Well, let's just say at least on the monitor it looks good. That, of course, the the real acid test will be when I go back and um, just listen to it uh, briefly before I start processing it. And uh, I'm hoping that I haven't done something foolish here, but uh, we will wait and see. Anyways, let's get into the news. And well, let's start where we've been talking about for well a good number of weeks now. Uh, basically, uh, I think <laughs> almost for two months, really. But anyways, uh, sources are saying out there that the the teams in the paddock and Formula One have decided to really uh, approve this really radical rule and budget change uh, package that they've been uh, talking about uh, for a good uh, number of weeks now. And a lot of this is, of course, to, to do with the, the, the fallout from the whole coronavirus pandemic situation and the fact that we've lost, God only knows how many races now, was it 8, 9, 10? I've lost count. Anyways, lots of money has been uh, been, been lost in, in revenues, terms of uh, revenues for Formula One and the teams. And well, I mean, it's the same for everyone. Doesn't matter what uh, what walk of life uh, you come from uh, at the moment. Everybody's struggling through something. But anyways, uh, so the, the the big thing, uh, one of the big uh, sticking points was the the, the budget cap that was uh, being cut from $175 million down to $145 million for next year. And uh, well, McLaren has been saying for a couple of weeks, uh, if not longer, that they were in favor of reducing this budget cap as low as $100 million for next year. And uh, Ferrari were, well, really dug their heels in and said that they would not be willing to go below $145 million. Anyways, uh, apparently after a, a lot of discussion and back and forth, um, they've decided to, on a glide path, uh, which is uh, the word that I love in the report that I found, uh, the glide path down to $140 million in 2022 and $135 million per year after that. And apparently Ferrari was able to uh, compromise and uh, threw their weight behind it. And, uh, you know, it's still, maybe it's just the way that that, that I grew up. Maybe it's just the the, the way that I remember Ferrari being for so many years, but it seemed every time that there was any kind of suggestion of uh, changes to anything in, in, in Formula One, that uh, Ferrari would always seem to be the, the the most vociferous and the ones threatening to pack up and go home and leave the sport. And it really hasn't been like that in the, the last uh, several years. Uh, of course, the, the big change that uh, we 
well, we're we're not going to see it next year, of course. But the the, the big change that everybody had been talking about for well, pretty close to a year and a half, maybe two years, with the the, the rules overhaul that was going to come into effect in twenty twenty one. Now it's been pushed back. A year or so because of the the ongoing uh, coronavirus uh, situation and the fact that it was going to be difficult just uh, in a in a normal timeline to uh, be able to roll out these new cars for for 2021, and uh, that scenario just went right out the, the 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 window. What with everything shutting down the global economy over the past couple of months, and wisely they decided to uh, to put it off. Anyways, like I say, this this whole era of uh, I wouldn't say outright. Uh, cooperative spirit, but there's certainly a lot of willingness. It's, it's something that maybe people of my age, <laughs> I don't want to date myself uh, by by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, when, when you grew up, and I was a, really got into Formula One when I was a kid in the late 80s and in the 90s and, and beyond, and it seemed every time there was some some talk of any change, Ferrari would always seem to threaten to pull out, and uh, certainly not. But, of course, in this uh, this day and age and everything that uh, has been really been flipped upside down over the past uh, several months, it really is in everybody's best interest to sit down and, and find a way out uh, beyond uh, the, the next, uh, well, the immediate future. I mean, we don't know how long this thing is going to go on for. We don't know for sure how long uh, or how many races we're going to get in the, this year. There's, you know, that that is a fluid situation as it was very dynamic, uh, you know, a couple of months ago with uh, races being canceled left, right and center. Now everything is focusing on and slowly but surely starting up, and that's starting to shift around too. But um, of course, this whole situation to to find some more stability in this uh, this rapidly changing uh, and unstable world that we're living in at the moment was really in the uh, the, the the best interest of everyone. I mean, not everybody has uh, deep pockets that uh, can afford to weather this storm, and I'm not saying that for the big boys in Formula One like Ferrari, Mercedes, maybe even Red Bull. That uh, that that anybody is really in, in a good situation to uh, weather it. Uh, I suppose uh, some teams are, are probably better off uh, than others, but certainly it, when you have some of the smaller teams that are just struggling to get by, just on a, on a, on an annual basis, that uh, the the long term survive, uh, survivability of the sport and just the whole economic model that they have to operate in is uh, is something that is uh, beneficial to, to all of them. So anyways, there not is uh, the, the, the budget cap uh, a part of it, but there's also a, a different uh, a set of rules that are going to be far, part of this uh, package, uh, including a radical uh, aero development handicap system where the worst performing teams are allowed more wind tunnel and CFD development time compared to the more successful teams. So your Red Bulls, your Ferraris, your Mercedes, teams like that. And then the allowance for the use of more uh, open source parts, which I think is actually a uh, kind of cool. Anyway, so the, the teams have uh, approved the rule changes, and now this has to be uh, put before the uh, the World Motorsport Council for uh, final approval and ratification. And um, the reports are suggesting that uh, the governing uh, body will uh, do that uh, via an e-vote. Some, well, I mean, everything that uh, seem to be doing uh, <laughs> electronically uh, these days, as uh, I'm sure many of you are finding too. Uh, so anyways, World Motorsport uh, Council will probably meet early next week after the weekend. Uh, sorry, that was the governing body, FIA. And then um, afterwards, the World Motorsport uh, Council will have their meeting uh, sometime in mid-June. So this one's a couple weeks out uh, from being uh, completely um, approved and uh, and pushed through. So anyways, that, that seems to be the, the, the way forward. So anyways, a little bit more detail on that. Uh, and I think this is kind of cool. Anyways, uh, the, the, the big focus in the, the, uh, the, the, the past several weeks on this whole, um, 
whole, I don't even want to call it an emergency package, this whole um, deal that they've been working out, the, the big focus has been on the budget cap. And that's really been the big sticking point for the past uh, several weeks. And uh, it's it's really been pushed uh, through and championed by FAA President Jean Tote. And uh, there's a bunch of um, different or changes to the rules that are going to cover uh, chassis and engine rules, sporting regulations, and uh, wider spending limits. So as I mentioned, uh, the, the budget cap going from 175 down to $145 million for next year and then uh, as we're saying it's going to go down uh, incrementally for the next uh, couple of years anyways uh, Mattia Bonato said uh, recently the 145 million dollar limit was as low that Ferrari want to go he told the Guardian uh, newspaper quote the 145 million dollar level is already a new and demanding request compared to what was set out last June it cannot be attained without further significant sacrifices especially in terms of our human resources if it was to get even lower we would not want to be put in a position of having to look at other options, further options for deploying our racing DNA, end quote. So obviously uh, what uh, Bonato is saying that if it went uh, any lower than that, that uh, w- one of the ways that uh, they would have to reduce costs is uh, obviously by reducing the, the size of their workforce at, uh, at Maranello. And uh, certainly sounds like they are not uh, really wanting to, uh, to do that. I mean, uh, some of these uh, big F1 teams have several hundred people working for them. I mean, uh, they really are big outfits uh, <clears throat> excuse me the, the the people that we see on a, a race weekend on the pit wall in the garage uh, that really is a very small portion of uh, some of these uh, larger teams Anyways, um, so in addition, like I said, the the, the teams um, have also approved uh, the um, rules to reduce um, uh, costs in other uh, areas. Um, there's uh, that uh, discussion we were talking about a couple of uh, weeks ago, token system for chassis development, and then also um, the, the radical air, aero development handicap system where the worst performing teams are going to get the, the more wind t- tunnel time and CFD development time uh, compared to the, 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 the bigger teams. So they have, uh, Formula One is kind of avoided these um, obvious uh, handicap systems uh, in the past but uh, I, I think that uh, in general I think it's a it's a good idea to really um, look at all options and put them all out there on the table because even if we do get going uh, racing in, in July uh, and you know the the schedule's still a little bit uh, up in the air so we're going to get get to that in uh, in a couple of minutes here but I think that uh, I've, I've been saying for the past uh, several weeks that uh, they have to do what uh, what they need to do to make sure that um, Formula One will survive beyond the end of this year and uh, certainly in the mid to long term future. And uh, like I say, I hate the term thinking outside the box. I think it's a really overused phrase and it's... I. Don't want to get into it. <laughs> Anyways, it's just, uh, I just hate the phrase. Anyways, like I say, I prefer the, uh, you know, like uh, them looking at a lot of different alternatives to really um, find new and creative ways to, uh, to to really look at the survivability of the sport. And I'm glad that they've really looked at all the options on the table. And I'm glad that all the teams have got uh, gotten on board and uh, that this thing is going to go through. And, you know, like I say, I mean, there's, there has to be discussion. I think that uh, discussion is uh, healthy, and I don't really uh, view it, uh, at least uh, from where I'm sitting, that uh, Ferrari's uh, wanting to put uh, a wrench in the works and try and bring everything to a, a grinding halt. So they had their concerns, as uh, other teams had their concerns, especially the small teams. And every team is unique in that uh, perspective, and I'm glad that uh, that it actually went through, or at least from the team's uh, perspective, and it uh, sounds like it's just a formality before it's uh, ratified and adopted. Anyways, uh, moving along, 
along. Let's uh, let's talk about what might look or what the uh, <laughs> what the schedule might look like. So as we were talking about uh, last week, um, the schedule was uh, or is still set to get going uh, the beginning of July with um, back to back races at uh, the uh, Red Bull Ring at uh, in Austria followed by a pair of races at Silverstone. Now, this may be up in the air a little bit. Uh, Austria, I think, is about as set in stone as you can get. But the British Grand Prix is it's a little bit up in the air at the moment. And it, it sounds like it may not actually uh, go off at uh, at this point in time. I mean, uh, Austria compared to Britain has, um, has fared uh, better in this uh, whole uh, pandemic uh, situation. UK obviously has uh, been hit uh, quite hard. And uh, Formula One will not receive uh, quarantine exemption from the British government. And that's uh, really uh, put the whole prospect of having a British Grand Prix at the beginning in July in, in real uh, jeopardy. So Formula One has been formally told uh, by the British government uh, that they will not be granted uh, an exemption for uh, travelers arriving in the in the in the country to, uh, to be put in uh, quarantine. And um, well, that's not really a surprise. I mean, well, in, in one respect, uh, it is in another that it isn't. I mean, the thing is, uh, there there are quarantine uh, restrictions uh, put in place for uh, people coming in uh, from uh, out, uh, outside of the countries and or internationally in countries all over the world. Um, anyways, um, so there was a, a, a briefing held at uh, Downing Street um, on Friday afternoon, and British Home Sec- uh, Secretary Priti Patel confirmed that all arrivals to the UK from June 8th onward will have to go into self-isolation for 14 days. And where I live in uh, British Columbia on the west coast of Canada, that's been uh, something that's been in place for a couple of months now. Uh, provincial government has uh, even set up uh, something that if you do not have a quarantine plan in place, they will set one up and, uh, and, and house you somewhere if you are unable to uh, you know, get that thing, uh, get that organized. So um, UK government obviously uh, going with uh, something uh, similar, but they did have a small list of exemptions uh, for, um, uh, for parties that uh, would not have to comply with that and uh, that did not include top level sports like uh, formula 1 um, the the uk government did say that uh, the limited uh, exemptions which included road uh, road haulage freight workers medical professionals uh, especially those that are engaged in the fight against uh, covid-19 uh, seasonal agricultural workers uh, who will actually uh, self isolate on the, uh, the the facility or the property where they're working and then uh, essential uh, workers or emergency workers so i mean those are all uh, very, I, I think, uh, very logical and reasonable uh, exemptions. Obviously, uh, it would be a big disappointment if the British Grand Prix could not go off at that time. But of course, the underlying uh, issue is that everybody has to be safe. And uh, the the last thing is that as it seems to be coming down in a lot of places, that uh, the, the the big fear is that there, there will be a second wave of infections at some point. And most people, uh, experts seem to be pointing at the fall. But if uh, restrictions are lifted too soon from what i understand you know that that second wave could come uh, a lot sooner anyways um yeah it is uh, uh disappointing it is uh but you know We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Silverstone uh, boss uh, Stuart Pringle told uh, Sky on Friday that uh, he was very optimistic uh, the government uh, could change their stance and uh, some arrangement could be allowed for the British Grand Prix to go ahead at some point. And uh, he had to say, quote, I am very clear that the importance of the industry is understood by the government. I remain very optimistic that they will find a way. I'm very, very conscious that it's extremely complicated drafting these
these things and working up against ever-moving deadlines. It's not a task I'd wish to undertake. So I remain optimistic that a sensible and pragmatic solution which puts the onus on the sport quite rightly to come up with what right solution can be found. End quote. Yeah, we're, and we're going to talk about that uh, in a moment uh, because uh, Formula One or FIA says uh, they could still go on even if there was a flare-up of, uh, of uh, even a 10 or a dozen cases of uh, coronavirus in uh, in the paddock. Anyways, uh, that's... Uh I don't know. I, I'm not a medical professional by uh, you know, not not even close to it, but it. Uh, I, I do agree with what uh, Pringle is saying that uh, the, the the onus is more on the uh, on, on the sport themselves, and if they can come up with uh, with something and they can present it to government, and that's acceptable, and then maybe they too can get on the exemption list. Well, that's a, that's a completely uh, different ball game. But for now, British Grand Prix at the beginning of July certainly very much in doubt. Anyways, time for a quick break here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be back in. Just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And well, we're the we're we're gonna pick up right where we left off uh, before the break, and where the uh, there there is doubts and maybe uh, some uncertainty around the the British Grand Prix going off uh, at the beginning or middle of July. Uh, talks with Hockenheim to host uh, a Grand Prix in Germany uh, have actually um, apparently picked up a, a little bit of speed in the past uh, several days. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Hockenheim seemed uh, very much uh, like an outsider. It was uh, more of a yeah, we've been in touch. We've uh, we've indicated to um, to F1 that uh, we'd be uh, interested in hosting an event because had this whole um, pandemic situation not uh, gone down over the past uh, several months, if everything had just stayed the way it was, there would be no German Grand Prix this year. And uh, that still blows my mind that uh, there wouldn't have been a, a German Grand Prix. That's a, a bit of a different tangent, but certainly not something that uh, that has been unusual in the past, uh, or at least in recent history. I mean, um, the German Grand Prix has been off the calendar before. Anyways, they have um, they have ratcheted up the, the the talks with Formula One, and um, it, it could very well uh, go ahead if uh, the planned uh, race at uh, Silverstone or the back to back races in July uh, are, do not uh, go off. Uh, then perhaps uh, Hockenheim will be uh, an option. So Hockenheim managing director uh, Jorantesca told Motorsport.com that talks with Liberty Media had recently um, uh, increased, and they are now actually focusing on uh, on the details and. Uh, Tesca had to say, quote, is indeed true that we are still in ongoing talks with Formula One. We've moved from a casual conversation mode to a mode of sounding things out. 
We are sounding out under which conditions uh, such a thing could be possible, such as the approval situation, infection situation, track availability, and of course, economics. These are all important issues, end quote. So yeah, I mean, uh, th- that is interesting uh, that uh, this is actually uh, you know, changed, but it, it, to me, it seems uh, completely logical uh, because where, where there is doubt that, uh, that the British Grand Prix may not uh, go off uh, as planned in the middle of July, that uh, that Hockenheim, again, being in, uh, you know, reasonable uh, geographic convenience and location, uh, just being an hour or so uh, by, by air, uh, you know, probably, well, maybe a little bit uh, more than that, maybe hour and a half uh, from from the UK. Anyways, uh, it is uh, geographically uh, convenient uh, for Formula One. And, uh, you know, if they're going to have uh, different races in the continent, obviously, it would be a lot uh, more convenient to, to have it in Hockenheim after the, uh, the Austrian Grand Prix, because as the crow flies, Austria and Germany, obviously uh, share a border and it would be uh, just that much more convenient. But I, I think too, you know, the, the, the fact that, um, you know, Chase Carey came out a couple of weeks ago and they've, uh, you know, released the schedule of, uh, you know, 15 to 18 uh, races, which to me still seems like an extremely uh, optimistic um, scenario based on what, uh, what what's uh, what's going on. And I mean, even so, I mean, I, I know that uh, we're, we're, we're looking at uh, getting the season going in just over a month from now. I mean, uh, as I record this show, it is the 22nd of uh, May, 2020. The 5th of July, guys, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, that seems like... uh that seems like a very, very long time away. I mean, I consider how much has happened in the past uh, couple of months, uh, you know, a month and a half from now seems like a very, very long time from now I- indeed. But I think that it is important uh, that if uh, that Hockenheim, uh, or sorry, if the British Grand Prix does not go down at uh, at Silverstone in the middle of July as planned, that uh, that they do have some uh, some alternatives. And it, it is going to be fluid. I mean, there there is no doubt about it. I mean, uh, that, you know, what we're going to talk about here in a moment as well, but apparently that, uh, you know, that the, uh, the U S Grand Prix at Austin at the uh, circuit of the Americas, uh, you know, later on this fall, uh, you know, currently slated for the, the 22nd to the 25th of October could be in doubt. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that, uh, you know, goes, but anyway, so we'll have to wait and see whether or not, uh, things, uh, get going at, um, you know, with a, a replacement, uh, at Hockenheim, certainly, uh, in its current guise, maybe not my my favorite track, but you know, <laughs> beggars can't be choosers. Uh, you know, to borrow an old phrase at this point, uh, if the season gets uh, up and running, it would just be uh, great to have uh, Formula One, even if it's uh, behind uh, closed doors. It is uh, it is weird. Just on a bit of a, a side note here, I, I did watch uh, some Bundesliga soccer last week, and it was very very strange to see uh, you know top level uh, you know, soccer being played in front of an empty stadium. I mean, you had uh, you know the coaches, you had the subs, you have the uh, the officials, everybody uh, you know socially distanced, physically distanced uh, from from one another, and uh, just uh, it's it's a very very bizarre and surreal. Uh, scenario, even uh, when, when you go out in your own local community. And uh, I, I went out to uh, get a, a couple of things this afternoon from the store. And the same thing as you see people talking on the sidewalk, you know, eight feet apart from another is just like, you know, two months ago, if somebody did that, you'd say, what's this dude's problem? It's like, do I need, do I need to take a shower or something? Do I smell? But now if you see anybody closer than uh, six or eight feet, you're kind of like, okay, why is this guy all up in my grill? Anyways, 
Yeah. So uh, we'll see whether or not uh, in the next week or so uh, between this show and next week, uh, whether or not uh, we get some clarity on both uh, the situation with uh, with the British Grand Prix. Also, uh, possibly if uh, Hockenheim uh, comes on the calendar at some point, but uh, certainly it seems like a, a viable uh, or a possible reality now. Uh, and that really has sort of picked up speed in the past uh, couple of weeks. Also, I haven't heard anything more about uh, Imola uh, being um, a, an option. That one was out there a couple of weeks ago too. So, I mean, there, there are some opportunities out there. I think it really goes to, um, uh, you know, really depends on what the situation is in each, uh, at each track, each country. And, uh, as uh, things, um, as, as things progress or regress as, uh, as the case may be over the next, uh, coming weeks and months. Anyways, as I was just mentioning, uh, you know, the, the U S Grand Prix at, uh, in Austin, Texas, uh, from that's scheduled, uh, for later on, uh, this uh, year at the, uh, end of October, very much, uh, up in the air at the, the, the moment. So the senior public health official in the state of Texas said that large events are unlikely to take place in the uh, Texan city before the end of the year. And, uh, that's no different than, uh, than any other places. I mean, some, some, you know, again, it depends where you live and uh, what the situation is. Uh, where I live, fortunately, uh, we've uh, fared uh, fairly well here. Our provincial health officer has just uh, flat out said that uh, there are going to be no mass gatherings for the foreseeable future. They're, they haven't even put a date on it. Uh, they're very much uh, watching the the, 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 uh, the numbers and the data and the infections and the cases. And I know a lot of places, I mean, the, the in Europe especially, have said, you know, no mass gatherings before the 31st of August, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But here, we, we've taken the stance that, um, or, or the position that uh, that they're just off the table for for the time being. Uh, restaurants and bars are opened with a limited capacity. I mean, religious services are limited to to fifty people, and you know, there's uh, all sorts of things. And you know, we're slowly getting going, but. To think now that, uh, you know, just the, the whole prospect of uh, having um, mass gatherings, uh, be it for sports or religion or a concert, you know, that just really, or even going to the shopping mall, uh, you know, there's uh, there's a big mall uh, just uh, down the road from where I live. Uh, I just can't imagine going into a situation just to, say, to go buy a pair of jeans or a pair of shoes or something and going in the mall on a busy Saturday or a Sunday or a Friday night, some of these peak hours, you know, I think a lot of people are going to think about that uh, twice. Anyways, when it comes to uh, you know, things like that, uh, Texas obviously uh, taking the more conservative uh, approach. So Austin is operating what they uh, call their stage three of their reopening plans after their initial lockdown, which uh, allows groups of up to 10 low-risk people uh, to gather. So the, the status in, in uh, Austin would have to go to stage one uh, before major events are are going to be even uh, be uh, considered. So the Circuit of Americas currently is closed, although uh, it did have a, a charity event uh, earlier this month when uh, members of the public were actually allowed to pay to drive a lap of the circuit. Now, how cool would that be? <laughs> even in my car, and I drive an SUV, I think it'd be kind of cool to take it for a lap around uh, one of these uh, circuits. Uh, you know, Obviously, it wouldn't be doing it in about a minute 35 or whatever uh, a lap of uh, the Circuit of the Americas is in a Formula One car, but uh, would be a uh, very cool. Um, anyways, Dr. Mark Escott, who's the uh, interim medical director of the and the health authority for the Austin Public Health, stressed uh, for the time being that allow, allowing large gatherings is uh, obviously uh, not a priority. And uh, Dr. Escott had to say, "quote The large events are the first thing that we turned off and are going to be the last thing we're going to turn back on because of the risk of exposing lots of people to one another, particularly individuals of the same household." 
We are working on a plan to help forecast what we think is going to be reasonable, but looking through the end of December, we don't have any indications at this stage that we would be able to mitigate the risk enough to have large events, particularly ones with over 2,500 people, end quotes. So yeah, uh, obviously uh, you're going to get more than 2,500 people out uh, to Circuit of Americas uh, for a Formula One race, and that really is uh, the you know the the, the big question. Uh, you know, for uh, I'm involved in my uh, professional association, and uh, we're we're looking ahead to planning for our AGM and professional development days for, for next year. And well, with uh, you know mass gatherings of more than 50 people banned currently, not not permitted in this province, that uh, <laughs> we don't know how we're going to even plan that far out are we planning uh you know you know for for in person are we going to be uh, planning to do a virtual thing with webinars and um you know do everything in a virtual environment i think that uh, we're going to have to uh to probably have to plan for both and uh and, and then just see closer to the time what the actual situation is but uh you know mass gatherings of any kind completely off the the table for the time being just in in all walks of life anyways um uh, the fia says 10 coronavirus cases would not stop a formula 1 race now of course uh, a couple of months ago at the uh at the australian grand prix in uh, melbourne i was going to say adelaide i always you know I guess maybe I grew up in an era when the (laughs) Formula One raced in Adelaide rather than Melbourne. Remember all the way back when, two months ago or two and a half months ago, when uh, this all started? Of course, it was a very, very different situation, especially... Uh, in uh, in the western part of the world, where the uh, you know, COVID nineteen was still uh, you know still percolating up through the uh, you know through different countries at different times. I mean, it had already been going on for a, uh, a month or two in China and place in Italy, Iran, places like that at that point. But we were still trying to. It was still a very new and and scary thing. Still is a very scary thing. But um, that was just a, a very odd situation just uh, how that on all unraveled uh, with the uh, the Australian Grand Prix and uh, it looked like uh, you know it, it, you hear some of the reports that have come out afterwards it looked like all the teams had wanted to and then it was uh, it was on then it was off and then it was on again sort of wavered back and forth Anyways, uh, of course, ultimately it was kind of canceled, and uh, really uh, the, the the big thing I think that uh, really pushed it over the top was uh, the fact that uh, one of the uh, M- McLaren team members t- tested positive for for COVID nineteen, and uh, from then everything kind of snowballed, and uh, and and the, the the race the whole weekend uh, was uh, called off. Now, uh, with uh, you know another eight or nine races called off after that, um, the Formula One has a plan in place to create what they call a biosphere and uh, at events to get the season uh, underway and uh, they have also been uh, having meetings to discuss uh, protocols uh, for running these uh, events and uh, this would include um, Formula One paddock personnel being tested for COVID-19 on uh, basically a, an every other day uh, basis. Um, anyways, um, the uh, the FIA's chief medical commission, uh, Gerard Salian, uh, is confident uh, that any positive COVID-19 test results could be handled in a way that uh, would uh, would prevent the cancellation of uh, any future races, uh, just uh, like we saw with uh, with Australia. The, the the big difference, of course, is that if there's going to be, uh, especially like in Austria. It's going to be uh, behind closed doors. You know, you're not going to be uh, inconveniencing thousands of uh, people, especially, you know, a good 
portion of people that are coming in from overseas, uh, you know, for probably part of a holiday or a visit to a, a different country. I mean, uh, if it's going to be this, uh, this, this bubble of just uh, Formula One teams and drivers going around from track to track, Behind closed doors, that's going to be a bit of a, a different uh, situation. So they all had to say, quote, I think the situation is quite different uh, between Melbourne and now because the knowledge of the virus is quite different. It's possible to prevent and anticipate quite a lot of things. If we have one positive case or maybe 10 positive cases, it's possible to manage perfectly with a special track, a special pathway for the positive cases. Medically speaking, it's not a problem. In terms of sporting and media consequence, it's quite different. We have to try and anticipate that to know where the right line beyond which it's impossible to continue. But I think it's not a problem for us now, end quote. Anyways, uh, that that is very interesting. Uh, I mean, he sounds very confident uh, that uh, that should something happen, uh, somebody uh, you know contract the, the the virus and test positive within that uh, Formula One bubble, that uh, they they feel that they could contain that and still uh, manage uh, to operate in that uh, situation. And of course, I mean, if you're a, a top level uh, medical professional uh, professional like that. Of course, uh, you're going to have a lot more uh, information and a better understanding than probably 99.9% of the the rest of us. Uh, Anyways, um, FA President Jean Tote says that he was obviously very uh, eager to avoid a similar situation of uh, how things uh, got out of control in Australia. And uh, Tote had to say, uh, quote, we want to make sure that arriving at the first event on the 2020 calendar, we don't face another unpredictable situation. Our expert are working on that end quote so yeah obviously tote uh, stating the uh, the obvious brought to you by the uh, department of Red- uh, redundancy department Anyway, so we will wait and see, but uh, it sounds like uh, they really have uh, working on it, and that they know what's uh, you know they they need to take uh, take care of and what they need to do in order to um, get uh, get everything uh, going, and uh, most importantly, a, a contingency plan and uh, you know a, a proper plan in place should the uh, you know what's a, a very obvious um, you know danger or, or possibility uh, that it could be uh, handled uh, quickly and of course if somebody is um, uh, you know test positive in the paddock the the, the big concern of course is uh, further infection and transmission of the disease uh, beyond there anyways uh, time for another break here on the overtime media network don't go away we'll be back in uh, just a moment All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And Ross Braun, the uh, sporting director at uh, Formula One, thinks that in six months, Formula One will be in what he calls a great place. Well, that uh, remains uh, to be uh, seen, but uh, I think that uh, it is uh, encouraging to hear that uh, somebody that's uh, right up there with a good knowledge of uh, Formula One who's been in the sport for a, a very, very long time and involved in uh, many different uh, aspects of, uh, of uh, Formula One is uh, is so upbeat and, uh, and, and positive about it. Anyhow, uh, Braun uh, was uh, talking to motorsport.com and uh, he was uh, just uh, reacting uh, to uh, an exclusive video that they had on their website uh, after he was uh, voted as uh, Formula One's best technical uh, director in a series uh, that uh, they put together about the the greatest F1 team. Anyways, uh, Braun had to say, quote, I think these are very difficult times we are facing at the moment. It is great to remember the fantastic we've had in Formula One and indeed the fantastic times we're going to have in the future. gives us inspiration to find our way through these difficult times. F1 was in a great place six months ago and it's going to be in a great place in another six months. 
this has really boosted me and it's very special, end quote. Yeah, so I mean, uh, obviously he's uh, talking a little bit uh, about this uh, this special series that uh, motorsport.com uh, uh, did. So he's, I think he's being a, a little bit uh, sentimental. And of course, uh, he has uh, some more uh, insights um, into these sort of things uh, <laughs> than the rest of us do. But... I don't know. They, they a month ago. I mean, for those of you that listened to the uh, the interview I did with uh, Formula Money's uh, Christian Silt about a month or six weeks ago, it they were in a very precarious uh, situation. Of course, uh, a month ago, six weeks ago, things were in a in a very different uh, situation. A lot of things were were very much uh, unknown at that point, and uh, of course, this whole pandemic situation changes on a, a daily and a weekly uh, basis, but. I don't know if it's a, you know, you can really get too excited uh, too soon. I think uh, obviously a, a big um, uh, thing to to really get to Formula One pointed on the right uh, direction again was this uh, budget cap, uh, bringing in all these uh, cost cutting measures to really try and and keep the spending under control, especially in this uh, the, the situation that we that we we find ourselves in right now, where there aren't a lot of revenues coming in for the teams. There's no racing uh, coming on. There's uh, you know there there's nothing being televised. So all the you know most of their uh, usual revenue streams have uh, dried up and uh, until we get racing again, until things get back to, well, obviously not to normal, but getting closer to normal, that will uh, be a better situation. But, you know, his positivity is uh, something uh, good to hear, but I think uh, we're going to have to see a a lot more of uh, positive things happening before we can really get too excited about it. And I should mention that uh, just before I go on uh, that uh, another team or another venue that uh, uh, that could be a, a possible replacement for the British Grand Prix, uh, should it not go off, uh, would be the, the the Hungarian Grand Prix. That was a little bit uh, up in the air about, uh, you know, a, a week or two ago, uh, just with the, the, the way that, uh, you know, they've been talking about uh, doing um, uh you know, mass public gatherings and things like that in Hungary as well. But again, uh, much like uh, Hockenheim is a uh, fairly close proximity to the Red Bull uh, ring in, uh, in, in Austria, the Hungara ring is only about four or 500 kilometers away from the Red Bull ring. So that would be uh, another good, uh, you know, a good option. Uh, so uh, we'll see whether or not uh, that comes off uh, or not. I mean, the Hungarian Grand Prix still on the schedule from uh, July 30th uh, to August 2nd, whether or not that could be moved up and switched at some point. Again, uh, Hungary, the Hungaro Ring, never really been my favorite track. I mean, the one thing, I mean, it's it was supposed to be kind of like a road track out in the, in the country. I mean, it's kind of cool, but it uh, doesn't really lend too many opportunities uh, for, for overtaking. And uh, we've seen some processions around there, but at this point, should it go off? I'm not really going to be too uh, fussy about it. <laughs> it would just be nice to, to see some racing uh, basically anywhere if we can get a, a Grand Prix going. Anyway, so let's talk now about Sebastian Vettel. Remember that guy? Yeah, we haven't talked about him very much. Uh, well, not this week. Anyways, uh, so uh, of course, as you expect, after a, a little bit of time has uh, passed, uh, that uh, that more information will start to trickle out into the the, the, the public realm, and uh, you know the the Vettel and uh, Ferrari situation. Obviously, uh, that was just going to be. Uh, a matter of time. Anyways, uh, Matteo Bonato, Formula One, sorry, Ferrari Formula One uh, team principal, uh, said that the uh, earlier this week that uh, that uh, Ferrari and Vettel did not share the same goals. Well, I think that's uh, it would be fairly, uh, I think, deductible by the the, the rest of us. I mean, Vettel has uh, been there for uh, several uh, years now. I mean, uh, he'll be ending a six-year uh, um, run at Maranello at the uh, end of this year uh, before he leaves, and uh, will be replaced by uh, Carlos Sainz, who's coming over from McLaren for twenty twenty. 
2021. Anyways, um, it is interesting that, that uh, you know, that, that it just comes uh, out. But um, uh, it, uh, sorry, Bonato has said at Motor Valley Fest in Mata earlier this, or Modena earlier this week, quote, we closed a cycle with Sebastian. Sebastian has been working in our team for six years. I admire Sebastian. I admire him as a person and as a professional driver. I hold him in great esteem. Beyond that, over the last weeks, the world has changed, not only from an economic point of view, but also from a technical and sporting point of view. There are challenges ahead and obstacles which are going to be difficult. We are laying the foundations for our future and we want to have a specific perspective. We talked with Sebastian and found we didn't share the same goals, short or long-term goals, end quote. And yeah, well... That that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Sainz, a younger driver in his early 20s compared to uh, Vettel, who's now going into, well, I mean, what, 32, 33, not old by, by any stretch of the, uh, the imagination. He probably figures he's got another contract or two left in uh, with him in Formula One, but... I guess unless he really comes out, we get some uh, details on what what he wanted in terms of things. But I still kind of see a, a lot of parallels between Vettel and uh, Ferrari in 2020, as uh, we saw with uh, Daniel Ricciardo and Red Bull in 2018. Just uh, seeing the writing on the wall that uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a younger, uh, very aggressive, very talented driver and Max Verstappen uh, was in the team. I think that Daniel Ricciardo he, he saw the writing on the wall, and I think that uh, maybe. Uh, uh, Sebastian Vettel did as well, and uh, the, the the fact that uh, that Charles is the going to be the guy that they're going to build uh, that team around uh, over the next uh, several years. Obviously, having signed uh, you know a fairly lengthy uh, contract till the end of what 2024, 2025. It's a good uh, good length uh, contract if uh, you're Charles uh, Leclerc. Um, yeah, so the, the 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 big interesting thing will be. Well, I mean, there's a lot of different uh, interesting aspects uh, to this story, but uh, Vettel moving on and Carlos Sainz uh, coming in, obviously that dynamic uh, between himself and uh, Charles Leclerc is going to be uh, fascinating uh, to, to watch. But also, uh, w- where is uh, Seb going to go now? And I, I think that is, uh, you know, the the, the $64,000 question is, uh, where does Sebastian Vettel go after Ferrari? Uh, you know, <laughs> It, it there are options you know there there are there are still things out there that haven't uh, been uh, decided and things that could happen and uh you know it's it just some seem a little bit more logical uh, than than others but uh, before we talk about uh, maybe some different uh, options for Sebastian Vettel, Jean Tote, uh, from the FIA president, and uh, well, I mean, he was team principal at uh, Ferrari during the Schumacher uh, glory years. You know, the the, the beginning of the uh, you know of uh, of uh, the two thousands, and uh, he was in charge uh, watching uh, Schumacher. Uh, well, he was in charge of the team when uh, Schumacher won five consecutive uh, world championships. I mean, we thought it was unprecedented then, but you know, you look at uh, what uh, Mike, or sorry, uh, Lewis Hamilton and uh, Mercedes are doing now. I mean, a lot of uh, parallels there. Anyhow, that, that's a different story for a different time. Anyways, uh, Jean Tote uh, had to say that, um, you know, he, he really feels that a lack of what he called unity of Ferrari has been one of the key reasons for Vettel's uh, well, I mean, he's just calling a failure to emulate uh, Michael Schumacher and win, uh, you know, not just uh, one Formula One world championship, but multiple world championships uh, with the, the scooter. Yeah, so that is uh, very interesting. But I mean, on the surface, 
I think maybe this is one that doesn't re- really require too much uh, thought, especially when you think about, okay, well, how many team principals have they had uh, in there over the past uh, several years? I mean, they've had, uh, you know, Stefano Domenichelli uh, and uh, Arriva Bene. Now you're on to Mattia Bonato. I mean, uh, over the past uh, four or five, six years, you've got three guys uh, right there. So, I mean, when you have a lack of you know stability in an organization any organization or business i mean that's going to cause it's not really a great foundation and i think that uh, that leadership uh, comes from from the top down and uh, when you're going through uh, you know team principles every couple of years that that's got to have a like a big effect on the uh, the organi- organization that uh, that that you're running because each one of these people they're going to come in with their own ideas their own set of values their own managerial style and their own agendas and what they want to do and you know how they're going to go about uh, and achieve that and I, I thought it was uh, very interesting if you go and read uh, Ross Bar- uh, Braun's book uh, that uh, that came out a couple of years ago. What is it called? Uh, Total Competition. I think it was very interesting because he he always viewed these sorts of situations as basically like a three year project. And I think that uh, that 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 was a very ambitious target to set. Where he thought, well, okay, it takes a year to get in there and understand what the situation is. The second year, you're enacting changes, and by the third year, you're going to start seeing improvements. And uh, and and he thought, well, I, I seem to remember him saying, you know, winning races by three year three, that seems uh, fairly ambitious. I mean, especially if you take the example of uh, Renault in, in, in current Formula One, who are now several years into this and, uh, you know, not even really not even really you know competing for podiums yet anyways but anyways he he did see it as a more of a a multi-year kind of a a different step uh, process so you you get a a different uh, person in like say Mattia Bonato he's going to have his own different different ideas and views and goals you know for Riva Mene and uh, Domenicali all these different guys are going to have different uh, opinions and and different ideas to do that but anyways uh, Tote went to say uh, quote the result good or bad you can always explain it together with Michael the whole team at Ferrari we had so much success because we had a very united, strong team who were supportive to each other, mainly in the difficult times than in the good times. It's easy to be together when all is good, but you see a good sailor sailor in a rough sea. When we were in a rough sea, we were all in the same boat, and I think that's what's made the difference, end quote. You know, the first thing, as I'm even reading that and I'm digesting that uh, that statement from Jean Tote, the first uh, thing that pops into my mind is uh, Mercedes. And uh, you, you look at that team. I mean, they, they go out. Of course, when you're winning, everybody uh, every, everybody's in a good mood. But you, you can tell that this is a team that, that that's motivated. Uh, and, and I think that is a great part of their success. And I think that's why it's very interesting. If you have a Netflix uh, subscription, you haven't seen season two of uh, F1 Drive to Survive, uh, go back or go out there and watch it now because... I think one of the the, the interesting, fascinating uh, episodes that they do covered the, uh, the the German Grand Prix last year. I mean, that was supposed to be a big Mercedes uh, party. They'd come up on what was it, the uh, special milestone? Uh, I, I forget exactly what it was uh, at the time, but they had all their you know all the garb done up, uh, kind of going back to like the you know the 1950s, a special paint job on the car, and because it rained, you know, that really threw that uh, that variable into it, and it was just uh, disastrous. And uh, you know, you see like uh, Lewis Hamilton afterwards talking to uh, Total Wolf and uh, Lewis he's just like oh I'm so sorry man he's just he's so upset and you, you could tell how bad it was and you can tell that was a real nader a real real difficult point uh, for, for them and then you even go back a, a couple of years uh, previous uh, where I think it was the uh, what would that have been 2017 2018 I guess it was the the the, the time uh, when they had a disastrous uh, sort of start to the season and then they went away after 
after Monaco, and then they came back to, to Canada. And after the Canadian Grand Prix, they just they really they they really buckled down. I think they went on like a, they basically worked twenty four seven after Monaco to get the car f- uh, sorted out to, to to iron out all the, the the little problems that they had. And they came back and they worked through it. And from then they were just uh, they, they were rock solid and uh, you know <laughs> doing the, the the things that we expect uh, expect uh, Mercedes to do. And Ferrari fifteen twenty years ago exactly the same way. I mean, in the early 2000s, uh, late 90s, uh, well, especially the early 2000s, I mean, that that team very much in a, in a similar way. And uh, I think that it's uh, very insightful to, to get that, uh, you know, that little looking through the, uh, the, the, the window from somebody like Jean Tote, who oversaw that, that team and can see now the, uh, you know, a guy like Sebastian Vettel, four-time world champion, not achieving, you know, and I think the, the, the key phrase in there was not winning world championships with uh, Ferrari and not emulating Michael Schumacher. The world championships uh, really uh, jumped out at me. Anyways, uh, time for one final break here on the Overtime Media Network. A couple more things uh, to talk about uh, before we shut it down for this weekend, or for this week, pardon me. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. A couple more things to talk about uh, Sebastian Vettel. Apparently, uh, Christian Horner has uh, jumped in and uh, had a couple things to say. And he said the uh, the dynamic Red Bull racing wouldn't work with what he calls two alpha males. Obviously, that being uh, uh, Sebastian Vettel and uh, Max Verstappen. And yeah, well, is that really not uh, a bit of a, an obvious statement? I mean, there's a little bit of history between these two guys, and I certainly don't see that. I mean, yeah, he did say uh, previously that uh, they wouldn't be able to uh, afford the, the 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 big salary that that uh, Sebastian Vettel uh, would uh, would want if he was to sign there. But um, certainly, I, I think just from a personality point of uh, view, uh, that uh, Sebastian Vettel and Max Verstappen in, in the same team uh, that could be somewhat uh, volcanic. Anyways. Uh, um, he had to say, and this is Horner, I should say, had to say, quote, we have a long-term agreement with Max Verstappen. Alex Albon is doing a good job. We've got a good team dynamic uh, within the team. Experience shows that two alpha males, it doesn't tend to pan out well. Sebastian is still a very competitive Grand Prix driver. I don't think it would could be conducive for our team to have two alphas. We're happy with the driver lineup we have. I'm sure he's not short of options moving forward, but he's chosen that it hasn't worked out for him at uh, Ferrari, end quote. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they do have... Uh, uh, a good lineup of uh, drivers there. And honestly, uh, I'd like to see what uh, Alex Albon uh, can do. I think that um, he, he really showed something uh, when he was moved up to, to uh, Red Bull from Toro Rosso uh, midway through last year, replacing uh, Pierre Gasly. And uh, I'd like to see what he could do. I mean, this year's going to be a bit of a weird one, but uh, obviously with the uh, you know late start to the season, considering everything else that's uh, going on. But Alex Albon, I think, um, you know, obviously you have to consider the possibility if a driver like Sebastian Vettel is out there and is available on the driver's market. But uh, at the same point, uh, I I would almost hate to see uh, a guy like Al- Alex Albon, uh, you know, given the boots uh, for, uh, for uh, Sebastian Vettel, because I'd like to see what uh, Albon could do, uh, not uh, just in terms of how he competes with uh, other drivers, but also I'd like to see how he matches up against uh, Max uh, Verstappen. Obviously, uh, Albon and Verstappen, two young, very, very good uh, drivers. Uh, Zach Brown, CEO of uh, McLaren, uh, says that uh, Sebastian Vettel was not considered as a 
possible uh, replacement uh, because uh, Danny Ricardo was already the number one uh, guy to replace uh, Carlos Sainz, who has uh, gone over to Ferrari. Anyways, uh, he also believes that uh, there were more fireworks uh, in, uh, in in the Ferrari uh, team involving uh, Vettel and uh, Charles Leclerc uh, once uh, you know the, the the season gets underway. And you know that that will be interesting because you know Vettel really doesn't have to hold back. I, I mean, obviously he's you know <laughs> he's not going to do anything. I think to really uh, drastically up to uh, uh, upset things, but I, I think he doesn't need to toe the line. So I mean, I think that's a, a very good uh, observation by by Zach Brown. I mean, Vettel has nothing to lose now. I mean, if he steps on uh, you know Leclerc's toes, then uh, <laughs> big deal. I mean, he's he's not going to be there next year, uh, whereas uh, Leclerc is going to be there for for a long time. I mean, uh, Sebastian, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm sure he still obviously wants to win, but uh, you know, he, he might not be uh, willing uh, in certain situations to uh, be what's what's the word flexible <laughs> relenting i don't know so that that should be very uh, interesting anyways going back uh, to uh, you know the uh, the the seat at uh, mclaren uh, brown said quote uh, obviously seb's an awesome driver and a four-time champion but i think we were pretty far down the path in the off season and we knew we would either land with daniel or carlos we never really entertained anyone beyond that especially with seb's late breaking news we were pretty far down the path at that point end quote so that that is interesting it sounds like like uh, just from that admission uh, that um, that uh, that things were in the uh, in you know already in the works there, and uh, Brown did say uh, he went on that uh, he knew that science was uh, op- you know looking at a possible opportunity to go to Ferrari because I mean Vettel uh, I mean he was out of co- contract at the end of this year anyways, and uh, we did see first of all uh, uh, Verstappen locked down one of the lo- uh, you know, seats at uh, at Red Bull. Then we saw Leclerc lock down one of the seats at uh, Mercedes, uh, sorry, at Ferrari, <laughs> getting all uh, out of uh, hand. Because, I mean, all the guys in the top uh, three teams were all at a contract uh, for next year. I mean, Horner was saying a couple of months ago he felt that once one of them uh, signed, it would kind of, uh, they'd all fall like uh, dominoes. And he felt that uh, at some point uh, that uh, then it'd basically be status quo for 2021. Obviously, the the whole world has changed in the past couple of months, uh, a couple of months, and Formula One as well. But uh, an interesting admission. That uh, Brown felt that uh, that that science had been eyeing that uh, Ferrari seat uh, for some time, and uh, so had been uh, looking for a possible uh, replacement. So that, that uh, it'd be very interesting to 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 know how long maybe this had been uh, going uh, underneath. Because I mean, a couple of months ago, I mean, there was, uh, and of course, this was only a rumor and speculation, but uh, perhaps uh, that uh, that uh, there there was uh, maybe a possible move in the works to McLaren for Sebastian Vettel, but um, Brown obviously has. Uh, quash that now the now the interesting one is uh, Renault who's going to go there I mean it's not really a top seat considering where they are but I mean in theory this is team still with a a lot of potential and there was an article on formula1.com earlier this week looking at some of the guys that uh, may may be there and uh, they, they go through and one of them is uh, some of the guys in the, uh, the 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 Renault Sport Academy uh, you know there's uh, Max uh, Futrell uh, Christian Lungard, uh, Guan Yu Zhou, Oscar uh, Pastri, and uh, Hadrian David. Uh, sorry, David, he's French. And I don't know, interesting, right? I, I think this is a team that maybe needs to put in uh, and try and get maybe a bit of a bigger name, uh, considering. 
I think they need to. I think they need to make a bit of a splash just to kind of indicate, uh, you know, that uh, that that there is, you know, that this is a team that still wants to achieve something in in, in Formula One. So the three names that uh, that they bring up, and they they all seem fairly lo- uh, logical. One is Nico Hulkenberg, who was uh, with the team but uh, isn't there this year because uh, being uh, replaced by uh, Esteban Ocon, so kind of the odd man out. And then, uh, but now with uh, Danny Ricardo leaving to go over to uh, McLaren. But, you know, that one seems, I, I think that one's kind of run its course. I think that if, uh, you know, he was going to stay with uh, Renault, that uh, that they would have found a way to uh, to make that work. So the other two names out there, Fernando Alonso and uh, Sebastian Vettel. And, and, and that's where it gets interesting. And I could see maybe one of those two guys over Nico Hulkenberg at this moment. I like Nico Hulkenberg. I think he's a, a fairly decent uh, driver. But... You know, Alonso and Sebastian Vettel, I think that if you're Renault, I think you really have to look at, at, at both of those guys fairly seriously before you make a, a decision about how you're going to move forward. I mean, Sebastian Vettel, obviously a guy, four-time world champion, still in his early 30s. I still think that he's got a lot of left to uh, prove in Formula One. I think he can still get it done in Formula One. And I think maybe he just needs that uh, that opportunity, whether or not uh, Renault is that uh, opportunity and whether or not he would be content with maybe fighting it out for something outside of the podium and, and maybe helping that team. That's really... That that that's a big question, right? Because they're not going to be able to even offer him podiums unless they've come out of uh, out of nowhere and really designed a a winner for this year. I mean, uh, or maybe not even a winner, but a, a car that can maybe on the outside uh, chance uh, compete for a podium, right? I mean, that that realistically could be uh, the the scenario. But from the the other side, I mean, uh, Seb, I mean, he brings so much experience with him. I mean, he's been with Red Bull. He's been with Ferrari. I mean, the, the, the knowledge and the experience that he could bring to that team, I mean, just uh, must uh, make uh, Surreal Abitabul's mouth water to, to get in a driver and a guy of that uh, that caliber into the team. Whether or not uh, that's uh, something that they would you know want to consider, I'm sure they're considering it, whether or not they can pull it off and whether or not it would be attractive for Sebastian Vettel that, uh, that remains means a big question of course you have to look too i mean um you know the mercedes is still up in the air for next year i mean i i think it's obviously a matter of time uh before they uh announce a deal with uh lewis hamilton uh to to to, to re-up with them i still think that lewis has got maybe a you know one maybe two contracts left in in f1 i mean mid-30s now i mean he's still best guy on you know out there still the fastest guy in formula one still uh chasing down all those uh records i mean he could be you know the, the record holder in so many categories by the the time it's all said and done <coughs> excuse me but uh, then you got Valtteri Bottas who's on a one-year deal it's kind of like a rote like a rolling thing it's just a uh, you know Valtteri okay season over okay we'll give you another year but uh, Vettel maybe uh, you know if you're you're Vettel you know you, you got to consider that one too and uh, uh, Total Wolf uh, did said that that was a situation that they're going to look at I mean uh, again money not an option for for Mercedes to bring a guy like Sebastian Vettel in would it work between Lewis Hamilton and uh, Sebastian Vettel Great question. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, you know, at, at this moment, you know, 10 world t- titles between the two of them. Uh, it really would come down, I think, to uh, a big question of, uh, you know, w- would you want that dynamic uh, between the team or, or between those two guys? Or would it be like, uh, you know, a situation like uh, Christian Horner was uh, just talking about in the, you know, just uh, we, were, uh, you know, we were talking about a few minutes ago that, uh, you know, would it work when you have uh, two alpha males, males in the team like uh, Lewis Hamilton and, uh, and then Sebastian Vettel? Anyways, uh, you know, so so that is a possibility. Sebastian Vettel, to, or, sorry, 
Vettel to Renault. Uh, obviously, some uh, you know interesting scenario for both parties. But then the other one, uh, so, uh, you know, Fernando Alonso. Now, you know, Fernando's uh, over forty, uh, won two world titles with uh, with Renault almost twenty years ago. When he was a young guy, just uh, had only been in Formula One for a very short time. And again, you know, I, I can see the parallels. I can see the, uh, you know, the reason that uh, that his name gets thrown into that uh, conversation. But it is interesting because, uh, you know, when, when you think about it, a lot of people when Fernando left Formula One thought that um, he should be more than a double world champion. And, and obviously, I think there there's a very good, uh, you know, a very good uh, case for that. And, and this is a guy that's always done well uh, and, and, and has gotten results out of cars that's often were not very good. It was able to get uh, more out of these cars than, uh, than than was really expected. Now, would he want to come back to a team that would, uh, again, very much like Sebastian Vettel, would not be able to really offer him the the, the opportunity to to win, or at least that's what the expectation uh, is 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 at the moment. So that that is interesting, and of course, again, the 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 other reason why his name will get thrown in there is because he's uh, repeatedly said that uh, once the rule changes come in, that uh, you know for twenty twenty one, now twenty twenty two. That <clears throat> should he find them favorable, that uh, he would certainly consider coming back, and uh, his name getting thrown into Renault that makes a lot of sense because that's about the only team that uh, he hasn't burned any bridges with. So I can see that uh, that happening. I mean, that that unfortunately I think is going to be one of Fernando's uh, legacies in Formula One. Is uh, you know on one side you, you can you have the camp, uh, you know the, the the people there saying, oh he didn't uh, he didn't win as much as uh, you know his talents uh, deserved, but on the other hand you have to admit he has burned a lot of uh, you know bridges in the sport, and I think that uh, that is something that uh, that will be part of his uh, legacy as well. So anyways, the Renault situation could be very interesting uh, to to watch, but uh, Valtteri Bottas as I just mentioned, kind of this rolling one-year uh, contract uh, since uh, he's been there since the beginning of uh, 2017. Anyways, uh, Total Wolf, uh, Mercedes uh, team principal, revealed that uh, when he was uh, first asked to support uh, Val- uh, Valtteri Bottas way back when, he wasn't uh, interested, but uh, he changed his mind after uh, meeting uh, Valtteri uh, in, in person. So anyways, this is going back uh, almost 20 years uh, to the early 2000s uh, when uh, Wolf put his own racing uh, uh, you know, activities on hold uh, to uh, start start focusing on uh, business interests. And uh, after you know, being successful, he decided to look for different ways to invest in, uh, in, in, in motor racing, including backing young uh, drivers. So anyways, uh, way back in 2007, 2008, uh, Wolf was uh, approached uh, by the boss of uh, Formula Renault, uh, Team Motor Park uh, Academy, and his name was uh, Timo Rumpfkehl. And uh, and uh, this was all with the uh, you know, the idea to uh, try and help uh, Valtteri Bottas. Anyways, uh, <laughs> he decided not to at that point uh, because uh, he'd been, uh, he said, uh, disappointed by previous association uh, with uh, drivers. So anyways, uh, Toto Wolf had to say, uh, quote, when the investment side kicked off in motor racing, I got more involved. In a way, I tried to give back to young drivers what I lacked, and that was uh, financing and guidance. One day I got called by a friend who ran the Formula Renault team in Germany, Timo, and he said, there's an exceptional boy who is racing for an underfinanced Finnish private team, and he's 
very much at the front of the grid and I'm going to take him for next year. He hasn't got any manager. And I said, no, thank you very much. I've had bad experiences with some drivers who were grateful when they were lacking support and world champions in forgetting once they started to earn money. I don't want to do this. And he said, fair enough, end quote. <laughs> so very interesting. You know, it's kind of, uh, you know, all this time uh, later uh, that has kind of come uh, full circle. Anyways, uh, a couple months after that uh, that that phone call, uh, Rumpfkehl uh, called uh, uh, Toto and said, uh, I just wanted to let him know that uh, Valtteri won his uh, first Formula, uh, first two Formula Renault races. And uh, he, he said it was expected. Uh, did you say that? And then uh, he won the first race with uh, 27 seconds to second place and the second race with uh, 24 seconds to second. And then Toto said, yeah, okay, well, that was uh, unusual. And then uh, anyways, uh, Bottas did call him up and asked to meet. And then uh, he walked into the office and uh, <laughs> he said, I'm not interested in looking out for a manager. I just want your advice because there are a few groups that are interested in supporting me and I would just like to hear your opinion. Toto said he went on to give us an opinion and he ended up with four investors, uh, a couple of friends, including uh, Mika Hakkinen, uh, Didier Cotin, and uh, to help uh, Valtteri in his uh, years. And he said, um, uh, Wolf did go on to say that at that point, uh, you know, going back, uh, you know, over 10, well, <laughs> going on, uh, well, 14 years ago, 15 years ago, that uh, that, that Bottas made a very, very strong uh, impression. So very interesting that, uh, you know, all these years later, he did, uh, you know, come back, you know, to, to raise for Toto in Formula One, but I, I still think it is an interesting uh, situation that uh, despite uh, what uh, Bottas has done for the team, for Mercedes over the past uh, several years, you know, I won a handful of races, uh, which uh, you might expect, uh, you know, maybe not, uh, maybe not uh, a real competitive uh, rival to, to, to Lewis Hamilton uh, just yet, but I mean, he certainly does, uh, he's certainly good for a win every now and then. He's uh, good for a lot of points, a lot of podiums, and uh, helping that uh, team win uh, world championships. And I think, uh, you know, from that point of view, he's ideal and does not get into the conflicts and the, uh, you know, the, all the issues uh, that they obviously had with uh, with uh, Lewis Hamilton and, uh, and Nico Rosberg uh, previously. So that was kind of cool to see. Anyways, guys, uh, that's it for this week. Uh, thank you very much uh, for downloading and listening to the show. If you want to get in touch, as always, do so on Twitter at ScuderiaF1Pod or via email at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. And that's it. That's a wrap. Take care of yourself. And we'll talk again this time next week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.